Hello, 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 my friends and fellow animal lovers. I am back again for another episode of the Story of My Pet podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome two guests, Annette Janata and Olivia Ting. Hi, both of you. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to tell my listeners a little more about you, and then you guys can start chatting away to explain why you decided you wanted to be on my podcast. So Olivia Ting and Annette Janata are a hybrid artist-architect team exploring multi-sensory experiences, creating site-specific art installations that inspire connection, community, and curiosity. Their upcoming project, Sonic Dogness, is an artistic sonic shrine celebrating our relationships with our canine and canine-identifying fur babies that keep us sane. Located at the Albany Bulb in the San Francisco Bay Area, the installation will be kicked off with an event featuring local pups and their humans. Wow, this sounds like an amazing project. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to Annette and Olivia to explain how you know each other and um, decided to work on this project together. Okay, so do you want to start, Olivia? Okay, well, I'll just start a little bit about about how Annette and I met. Um, We have a common friend who is uh, an architect, and um, he was getting married in Germany. (laughs) And we actually met in Germany, even though we both lived in San Francisco. So, wow. Yeah, (laughs) for us to actually meet. And then we just struck a conversation. And so coming back to San Francisco, I was a graphic designer and installation artist. And um, Annette is an architect. And um, serendipity brought us together to create a, um, an installation together, projection installation. And, and then so we've stayed in touch since. Um, and then there came about this opportunity. Albany Bulb is this really interesting um, um, environmental, uh, it, it, it actually used to be a, uh, a dumping ground, an architectural dumping ground dating back to the 50s. And so over time, um, the dumping is outlawed, but then so um, nature took its course and trees started growing and it became a sort of an island in the middle of nowhere in, in the bay near, uh, near Oakland. And so near the city of Albany, actually. And so um, some 20 years later, after this vegetation has grown, then um, a lot of homeless people started moving into that area and they started to build an encampment. So it became this, its own thriving community and they built a lot of really interesting artworks. So um, that was its own community. They siphoned electricity, they siphoned um, um, water and all illegally. But then in the 90s, then uh, the city of Albany took action and, and because it was not safe. So they relocated um, all these folks, but leaving behind all these really interesting and fascinating uh, artwork. So um, it's been uh, continued by the city of Albany to create a, a space for event and artwork. And uh, I was invited to, to make some, something as I brought in uh, Annette. 
And she came in and she had a first response. Oh, my God, the dogs are just different. They have a different <laughs> vibe. So we want to take that on from there, Annette. Yeah. Um, so uh, Olivia and I, um, I used to live in San Francisco. I live in Seattle now. Um, so this is, I guess that's our second time now collaborating while living in different cities, but we did a project in 2016, um, for the San Francisco art museum. And, um, we did an installation there. So we learned how to work together and actually had a lot of fun. Like it was, it was our first installation together and I think it, it went really well. And so, um, yeah, at the, so Olivia invited me to collaborate with her on this one. And, um, so yeah, I, I flew to San Francisco. We vis- I visited the Albany bulb with her and that was, yeah, that the energy of the dogs was just like, I've been to dog parks before, but, but at the Albany bulb, just, they were so happy. It was almost, what were we saying? It was like the Isle of dogs or something. They, it's, it's, I've been to other leash free parks, but this one, the dogs don't have to be on leash, but just the vibe, they were so excited and just happy to be there. And so we decided we, we didn't know what we were going to do for the project, but we decided to tap into that positive energy um, because we're coming out of this, this time that we've been in for the past couple of years. And we really wanted to expand on that good energy. That makes sense. And it also became sonic because um, the people who uh, invited me kind of know me from my sound work so I was like well we need to put sound back into the somehow I was like wait a minute you know what is this connection between dog being able to hear supersonic you know beyond what we can hear and how we recognize our friends through sound so I thought it would be it would be an interesting interplay of, of expressing dogs by sound yeah, we did. We did. We did a mashup. Like in 2020, I was supposed to go to Japan for an artist residency, and I was going to be. Fo- I have a strong interest in in um, shrines from different culture and and these artistic elements that invite you to connect with something deeper on your own. And so I started uh, an, an umbrella of art installations called Urban Shrine. And so with Olivia's Sonic genius like she's just uh, just got such a cool outlook on 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 sound and media and then we decided to mash that up with the physicality of a shrine and like do it all through this celebration of dogs and their people that's amazing (laughs) i mean it's such a different perspective in a way to explore dogs and how they communicate and you know what makes them happy and things like that so has the installation already occurred or is it still getting ready for the event to happen? It's still getting ready for the event. We're, okay. we're, we're working, we're developing the physical part of the shrine and Olivia is working on the sonic aspect of it. And um, I'll be going out there next week so we can study it more, but we have an event, an opening event um, with love the bulb on the 17th of July at 5 PM. And we're inviting people to come for this event with their, with their dogs. We're going to try to attempt some sort of sonic sing along. We don't know with the dogs. <laughs> that could be very interesting. <laughs> It'll be interesting. It'll be its own piece of art. We're gonna yes. let, yeah. We're going to let serendipity take its course. Yes. <laughs> so in a way, the, um, 
the 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 sound composition that Annette was talking about is um, we were recording. So I I dog sit um, my friend's dog and hit this Labrador named Cody. It's super goofy little guy. But um, so we we just had a, a recorder. This this is our um, audio recorder. It's called a Zoom also. So we just turned the thing on. We followed him around and we. Throw the ball, throw the ball, see what he does. And then he goes tapping around the table. And it was really interesting the rhythm that you get when you're not seeing them doing it. We played it back and said, What is that sound? And but it became a sort of a weird symphony. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to record a couple of different kinds of this sort of weird situational sound and and make a kind of a score with it. That's amazing. I think that would be so interesting because I too am a dog sitter. <laughs> so I dog sit several different families and every, it was so funny. I was just dog sitting this past week for a dog I'd never been with before, uh, a golden retriever named Bella. She's so sweet, but she had a very interesting noise she made when she wanted your attention, when she wanted my attention. And it wasn't, she'd never barked. She didn't really growl or anything, but it was this noise I kept hearing from her that I realized it was her telling me she needed to go outside or she was trying to get my attention or wanted a treat. And I've heard different types of noises from dogs, but I just, it made me really think about how unique those things are to each individual dog, just like their personality. Right. Yeah, they... And I have cats and each of my cats meow is very distinctive to them. Mm. And, and yeah. sometimes it sounds differently if they're talking to another cat or if they're talking to a human. So it is, so I can imagine what you're creating because I, I, I realize that that is such a specific thing in terms of how dogs communicate and not just with their voice, but with their body. Oh, absolutely. Because they come in all sizes and shapes, you know. And that's the really cool thing about dog sitting is that you you tap into like a short lifetime with each of these different different fellows, you know. And um, so it's lots of fun. And, and it's nice that we also have this opportunity to ask people to contribute their mm-hmm. dog experiences. So um, it'll be a spectrum um, maybe recognizing and recognizable things, but then you get to hear weird things, and you're like, "My dog doesn't sound like that. What? What? What is the dog doing?" It's interesting. That's an interesting perspective too about about um, each dog sort of having its own voice, almost like you know a call that its mother can hear or or something like that. We, what we were exploring when we started recording the sounds was not not like the obvious, but like the memories that, that you remember this, it's sort of overlapping with what a shrine might do, but um, those memories of those background sounds, you know, of the dog, like tinging on its bowl or or Uh cleaning itself or thumping on the floor. Like that sounds that you actually miss when they're not there, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so true because all animals really make different sounds that you realize that sometimes you don't realize they're making because you hear them all the time until they're not there. Um, I currently have two cats and one of them is he's quite OCD. (laughs) He 
actually, especially with his grooming, he's actually licked hair off of himself in spots. And it's a very distinct sound he makes that we're like, Charlie, stop licking, because we know that that is what that sound means. So it is so true that there's so much, there's layers to that that are beyond just their actual voice. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A quick break from this episode to tell you about a company I'm partnering with to help support the podcast. Nuvita is a woman-founded, woman-owned health and wellness company committed to clean, simple, and organic wellness products. Their CBD products are derived from 100% USA-grown hemp, and all products undergo rigorous testing throughout the entire process to ensure they are selling only the quality goods for you. If they won't take it, they won't sell it. They proudly run a USDA-certified organic facility and All products are certified residual-free, organic, and gluten-free, while most of their products are also vegan. Nuvita has a variety of CBD products, from tinctures to soft gels to gummies to rollers. They're something that can work for everyone. I personally have used Nuvita products for several years and recently started testing some of their new detox products. And oh my gosh, let me tell you, the results have been amazing. One of the reasons I love Nuvita the most is because they have a special pet formula CBD just for our fur babies. I have used their pet formula CBD with my own cats and they are amazing. They can help your pets with anxiety, pain, inflammation, and recovering from injury. I will never promote a product I haven't used myself or with my pets. And this one I have used for both and highly recommend it. You can go to the link in this episode to shop Nuvita now and use my code JULIE10 for 10% off of your order. No minimum purchase required, and every single time you shop Nuvita, you can use my code for 10% off. Thanks for listening. Now back to this episode. Yeah, um... We we also just got a, a, an email from a friend of ours and she's describing her dog, who she named Little Dog, and, and he was a rescued dog. And so he has a history that is kind of unbeknownst to, and but then they kind of try to understand his his phobias and his behaviors, um, you know, because of this part of him that they didn't know. So recently he had, um, I think, a bit of trouble in his mouth as it took him to the um, to the vet. And then so she described him, like, there was a lot of thespian screaming <laughs> and they tried to trim his toenails. So and then- She so was the, in the waiting uh, room. What? <laughs> She was in the waiting room and she overheard oh. the thespian <laughs> screaming. She could hear the thespian screaming. And then so later when she sees in the chart, they wrote a note and said, nippy and opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> On his chart. <laughs> so That's cute. so funny. And it's so true because every animal has their own personality. It doesn't matter what breed they are or what size they are. You know, they all have these little isms, just like people. And I've also learned through dog sitting that the smaller the dog, the bigger the bark. Ah, <laughs> the bigger the personality. <laughs> the Napoleon <Yes>. complex. <laughs> it is so true. Yeah. So was it seeing the dog's at 
the bulb that inspired you to connect that or was the dog something you guys had thought about ahead of time? It was seeing them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we had no idea what we were going to do. It was, it was our first visit. Oh, we, yeah, we, yeah, that it was, it was seeing them and just tapping into like how it's like all the problems of the world were dissolved at Albany bulb when you were there. It's like nothing in the world had ever happened. It was just these happy dogs running around, sniffing around and happy people actually. Yeah, but the, the, because going into Albany Bob, as I just described a little bit, has such a unique history of its own, you know. So, uh, but it, it's also kind of a very feral place. It's it's different from a, a usual dog park. But most dog parks are pretty urban. I mean, they're built because they're urban. We're in these urban spaces. But the thing about the Albany Bob is that, uh, as I said, it used to be a dumping ground and they try to put us far, as far away from any policing. And so it's actually probably about a mile out from what used to be a shoreline. And, but then over time, it just grew because it's just so much junk out there. And, um, and the nature took place. And then so we have a very thin strip of walkway and uh, it's about a mile's walk you know you walk out there and then suddenly the that's why it's called the bulb so okay yeah so it's kind of removed from the rest of the uh, I guess the, the shore the natural shoreline of the bay um so it's a really interesting place you know it's uh, unique yeah kind of like that, a wonderland yeah it sounds like it um you know I've I'm in California too I'm down in Bakersfield and so I grew up visiting San Francisco. I lived in Al- um, Alameda for one year. And, and then I did another year. I worked at um, Cal State East Bay in Hayward. So I'm, I'm familiar enough. I know where you're talking about, but I've never heard of it or let alone seen it. So now I'm very interested to go check it out myself. It sounds like a really amazing place. Yeah, a lot of people have not heard of it because, um, you know, it, 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 it's kind of a, a thing that that, that uh, most politicians want to sweep it under the, under the rug because it's not something that you're proud of, the thinking of it as a dumping ground and since the 50s, you know. But right. um, then there was a community there who they tried to relocate. And, but, um, and it's just, it's taken its own life, you know. And then now we've got, it's a dog park and dogs just love it because it's such a unique place. It takes them away. Um, so yeah, and I went there with Annette and I had no idea because usually my work has to do with projection, which you have to have electric outlets and we didn't just didn't have that kind of um, you know possibilities there. And so she noticed, wow. Look at these dogs. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I have dogs too. I've taken them to um, dog parks, but um, I just didn't make that connection. Right. So, That's so interesting. And Annette, do you have dogs or have you ever had dogs? So I um, I have, I had a, a, a dog when I was a little girl. And then after that did not go well for the family. Um mm you know, sad ending. And, and then, um, we've had cats ever since because they can take care of themselves, but I am a huge animal, animal lover. And, um, and I, and so I have two cats that, um, have passed away. Um, my second one's like my 
the both of them were my fur babies and um black kitty passed away in 2019 and um they are both so on our website our sonic dogness website we have a page called fur files where we invite people to send um, their favorite image of their their dog and a six word bio of their dog and and then who the caretakers are and um, so we have a few on there already and um, my t- I had to put my two cats on there because I would just say they both identified as dogs and they're just just the sweetest, you know, I don't, I don't know what, um, what animal I'll, I'll have in the future. I'll be blessed with in the future, but like when the time is right, I know it will come into my life. That's a long answer for um, no, no pets. I, well, I have, I live with my boyfriend and he has a cat. So the cats seem to find me. <laughs> I understand. I had four at one point. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> Two of them. Um, and that is- had a really her cat have a really interesting history. The first two that she mentioned were from Singapore. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. My my ex husband and I um, we lived in Singapore for three years. Oh yeah. And ironically, like we we landed there in um, the uh, very very end of two thousand two, and we worked for different architecture firms there. And at the very beginning of 2003, we found that like after work, we would meet at this place called Malay Village. And there was a cat colony there and we with lots of kittens and they were so just sweet and friendly. So he and I used to meet after work, go grab a meal and just hang out with the cats. And within a couple of weeks of arriving in Singapore, SARS hit. And so, um, and the whole, and and we had not even had a chance to explore the country and everything shut down. And so all we really had were like, we would go, go to work. And, um, that was interesting to be there during a pandemic in in East Asia and, um, and then meet the cats. And it just like, I, I really had no idea how bustling Singapore was until SARS kind of exited the scene. But anyways, we had befriended this colony of cats, and then the Singapore government said they were going to cull all the stray animals. And we were just horrified. And so we're like, well, neither of us had intended on adopting an animal while we were living abroad, but we were we decided we have to try to rescue at least two. And so um, that was Spotty and Black Kitty. Um, and Black Kitty, I think, had Burmese in her or something. She had the cutest little bunny tail. It was like this quirky little... <laughs> little spiral of a tail. And when she got excited, her little tail would, would wiggle back and forth. And Spotty kind of was like the, the healer of everybody. And um, Black Kitty had chinchilla fur. Oh yeah. And then, and so we had them for about 15, 16 years and um, Olivia had taken care of them <laughs> once when I had to go to Japan, when my father-in-law passed and you had an interesting <laughs> experience, <laughs> your stories were so, and I did that bizarre drawing of how to take care of them. I mean, talk about neurotic animal lover, but anyways, I'm babbling. I'm, I... It's okay. <laughs> it's so funny though, because everyone has such a specific way that they interact with their pets, whether it's the way they feed them or when or whatever it is. And every person is unique. And oftentimes it depends on their pets, like their needs, their likes, their dislikes. So I totally understand what you're saying. <laughs> but it's... um. For me, it was uh, it was a culture clash 
Oh. Right? Yeah, because I'm I'm a dog's person, and every 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 animal that's been in our household has been a dog. You know, my dad is a dog person. When he meets a cat, he'll be like, "Hi, kitty," <laughs> and the cat like, Shh. and she, you know, if you walk around here, she'll be trying to be following around, trying to pet the cat. So why don't you want to be pet? <laughs> I think, well, it, 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 it's how you do it. <laughs> so um, I am a little bit more savvy. I've had more contact with cats. But going to her house, you know, cats have their, their space. You know, I, I was a stranger in the, in the apartment. And um, I think it was it Spotty who needed medicine? Body, so I, yeah. God, you know, anybody who knows who anybody who's had to get medicine into their pets knows what that's like. And so I'm following and they, they just disappear the minute I show up. I'm like, I spent about half an hour just looking for them. I found one and then the other one disappeared and I have to go find the other one. So it's like this back and forth thing until I finally find Spotty, who's the one who needs the medicine. And then so I put it in. I should spit it out. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, this is not working. And I have to get it in by this time. So finally, I stuffed it in her mouth and I held it and I said, come on, come on, let's eat it. So I started to sing the Battle Hymn of the Public. (laughs) It was such a battle. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Did you eat it? Did you eat it? Oh God, let's go. Come on. That's so funny. Yeah. You know, I have, I've had to give medication to animals and some are definitely dogs are sometimes easier, but they also catch on. So yeah, it's so, I actually have one of my cats, he's diabetic. So we have to give him shots twice a day. And we've literally had to barricade around our bed so he can't get under it to hide from us, not to get his shot. And and so the other day, my husband was like, have you seen him? I'm like, no. Well, they had made a little hole through stuff to get back there. And he goes, well, he didn't get his shot this morning because he had found a way under there. So I totally understand. <laughs> it's amazing what they'll do to avoid something they think they don't like. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty smart. Yes, they are. And I do say, you know, everybody likes to say I'm a dog person or I'm a cat person. I'm an animal person. I grew up with dogs. Um, I've had cats most of my adult life just because they're easier in apartments. Um, But I love dogs. And almost all of my clients for pet sitting are dogs. So I kind of get my dog out of being it with other people's dogs. But hope to have one someday. Um, We also have tortoises. And my husband has tarantulas. So... We are, we are an animal family, and I support a lot of sanctuaries who also save other animals like horses and pigs, goats, everything. So I totally understand, you know, when you love an animal, you're open to helping all of them. I have a question. So we, we, um, the, one of the things that got me through the pandemic was that site, the Dodo, where they have oh, yeah. all the rescue stories and everything. And I just saw the a rescue story or no, it's not even a rescue story, but it was a tortoise that was discovered that, that this, this woman's mother, when she was a teenager in, in 1982, her tort her pet tortoise went missing. And then um, she moved on, had her life. And then this, um, 
her father passed away. And so they went back to the family home to clean it out. And the father apparently was a pack rat. And so they went up to the attic to clean things out and they found the tortoise 30 years later in 2013. And there's pictures of it and everything. And so the, the, and it was fine. It was fine. And so they, they, they thought that the tortoise survived on eating um, termite larvae or something like maybe they don't need a lot of water, but it said also in the article that 10 years later, the turtle, the tortoise is doing better than ever. So like, if do you, you have tortoises and do they need a lot of water? Like how could that animal survive? They don't need a lot of water. What happens is they actually lay in the water and they soak it in. So it's in, it's inside them under their shell. And so they, they soak up so much and then it lasts them for long periods of time. So it's different than turtles. They don't swim in the water. They just lay in it or drink it. So yeah, they don't need, um, lots of water. We, we have two, we just got the second one, but our first Rufus has been with us eight years. And before that he was, he's actually 25 years old. Um, he was at my in-laws house before them. They have several tortoises. My husband wow. grew up with them. And so where you guys probably know in Bakersfield, it gets really hot in the summer. Yeah. Um, it's usually over a hundred most of the summer. So they dig um, holes down into the ground, way down into where the dirt is cool. And he spends most of the summer down there. So they come up when they need food. Um, our tortoises eat leaves and grass and flowers and tomatoes and strawberries you know whatever they want so it's not surprising to me that they survive because they don't need a ton of food and um they they hibernate when it's cold Mm. so ours goes into a carrier and is asleep in the garage usually like november to march so That's part of, it depends on how fast it gets warm and how cold, you know, all of that. But that's part of why that one in the attic survived because they basically sleep half of the year. Interesting. Yeah. Tortoises are a pretty cool pet to have because they're low maintenance, but they are active and you can pet their heads and they'll eat right out of our hands. So they're a pretty cool animal to have. I had never heard that story, so I'm going to go look up. Look it up on the Look dodo. It up. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, and I I think I, I agree with you because in the pandemic, so many people got more attached to their animals. Or, you know, of course, we all know there was a huge amount of adoptions of animals during the pandemic. Being home, you realize you want that connection to someone, whether you live alone or not. And so I think it was a real kind of a awakening for people and, and the power of connection and unconditional love and all of that that comes from our pets yeah yeah and it sounds like what you guys experienced at the bulb with the dogs is really what it's about they have this just true happiness and this nature of them that isn't as affected as by their out the outside world like we all are And so I think sometimes our pets just allow us to disconnect from all the negative and technology and just spend time with them. And you really, you really get that, you really get that happiness from them, I guess you could say. It's a good way to put it. Sometimes it's even just by a a vicarious crossing of the path. This is path. They just kind of, 
right. shift their day. You know, um, it, it's not so easy for uh, my family and I to have uh, our own pet. Um, we just have challenges and scheduling the times and what. But we live right next door to a dog park, so we call it our, our dog kits. <laughs> I know my dad is elderly and he has a walk and everything. But when we go there and people are saying, do you, are you, if you worry about dogs running into you, there's another side of the um, the park that you can go through. No, we come here to meet people's dogs. <laughs> I think that's so true. Um, I was actually, someone else I was doing, recording an episode with talked about how her dog bonded with her elderly neighbors. And every day there was a spot in their backyard that he would go to the fence and they would meet him there and give him treats. And they looked forward to it every day and they had this bond and, you know, just, just petting a dog, just seeing a happy dog, wagging its tail, petting a cat or feeling the vibration of their purrs. Those little things can make an impact. Like you said, can change your whole day. And that's why service dogs are so powerful therapy dogs you know bringing a dog into the classroom with kids just changes their whole perspective and I think that aspect of it is probably really going to come through in the installation you guys are creating I hope so we we have a um an interview coming up with um a, a particular Dr. Ian Dunbar who is um I think uh, a foremost uh, a researcher of dog behavior canine behavior. Oh, okay. And now we'll be really interested in finding out about um, sound or, or or objects that dogs respond to. Um, you know, we, we have all witnessed uh, behaviors when the siren comes by, ah, and they all start howling. Right. And, you know, what is that kind of, is that an instinctive or did a learn behavior? And that might kind of help us maybe shape our strange composition to kind of encourage them to sing along. Mm-hmm. We don't have a goal, but it would be lovely to have them join in and have this strange chorus of man-made and, and dog sound. No, that would be really cool because you're right. I think there are certain sounds that they respond to more than others. Right. And so I do think, obviously, it's instinctual, but I, from my experience, at least with animals, it's also environmental. Like dogs that I dog sit for, when they hear the UPS truck coming down the street, they run for it. Because one of one of the dogs I sit for, the, the UPS deliverer brings her a bone every time. Oh my so God. she knows it's a happy sound and that they're, no, they're not just bringing a box. They're bringing something for her. And another oh. dog I just sat for, I realized they do the same thing for her. So I, there are definitely those things that are natural instincts. And then there are also those things that are more learned behavior based on their environment. Right. Right, learn behaviors and what they have, the experiences of their lives. But right. you probably why a little dog, LD, is nippy and opinionated because <laughs> <laughs> that's been screaming for the past, a past association. Right. And even like something like I know that um, I had a dog growing up that didn't like brooms. Well, we think as a puppy, they might have been hit with a broom. 
or, you know, like oh. to get them to move. And and then another dog I sit for does not like water, does not like the water hose. Well, again, we think there might have been like a bad experience. So just like people, we associate things like, you know, we have our phobias because we've had experiences. And so I think the same thing is true for dogs. And I think it, that'll be a really interesting aspect of your installation is to see what parts of it dogs there would actually respond to. Yeah, that that's a good point. We 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 have an intention of integrating um like almost like an instrument sonic toys. Like we were experimenting with different squeezy toys. And my favorite so far is that big blue bone that has sort of that melancholic oh, <laughs> that yeah. one, Olivia. Um so we we don't know yet how we're going to integrate them, but that's where we hope that's another way where they can participate even if they're chewing but right. it'll be like, yeah, how do you get to do that? Get them to do that in some sort of rhythmic experience. We don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, it's an art experiment in of itself that the event. <laughs> no, I think that's so true because there are some dogs that they'll respond to a squeak because they know what it is that you're squeaking or um, there's a dog guy. If I just bounce the ball, I make the sound on like the cement, they come because they know that means I'm going to throw it. So it is, mm. It'll be interesting to see all the different ways that you can um, add those different. Oh, there you go. There's some yeah, toys. Yeah, that's the bone. It's the best. It's the best sound. But they just have different personalities. Like this guy yes. is this one-eyed guy, <laughs> and this one is fantastic. Oh, that is a very specific. Yeah, because it's loud, but then it like kind of trails off as it right. expands back exactly. up. It's got a melancholy like, um, personality. My friend just said, don't leave me behind. Yes. <laughs> yes, like, I'm here, but I'm still here. Don't forget. That's so funny. So part of the challenge is also discovering the sonic properties of each of these discrete toys. And, um, you know, possibly that might appeal to certain kinds of personalities of dogs mm-hmm. and or, or it might not appeal. Or it you might never not. know. Yeah. <laughs> Some that may be a be question like, for Dr. Uh, Dunbar. Oh. <laughs> I, have, I have seen dogs that have no interest in toys. It doesn't matter what they look like oh, or really? sound like. Yeah, I have... Um, a lot of dogs will respond, but they all often have their favorite toy. Divine. You know, like the one thing that no matter what they're going to, they're going to respond to. And some, it's the same way with my cat. Sometimes it's silly to say, but I've had cats pick their favorite toys. Like mm. there was one, one of my cats had that were, it was in a little can, like kind of like sardines. And there were three soft fishes that were toys and I don't know why he loved those. I actually had to go back and buy more of them because it was his favorite, but he kept losing them or tearing them up. So I think this, I think this project is just so interesting in so many ways. And like you guys getting to talk to an animal behaviorist, I think that will be such an interesting perspective for you to, to think about that aspect of, you know, of what you're creating. 
And we want it to be like the, the physical aspect of the shrine. Like it's meant to be joyful and celebratory. But and what, what we see is that we're just creating sort of a framework for people to come and add to it or, or change it in some way. Mm-hmm. Like even if they're, they're writing, we're going to ask people to bring love letters to their, to their dogs. And, you know, we can, I don't know, tuck them in something that we create or something, but we're just trying to start a few things and then let people take it over so that there's a place to, I don't know, like, I know, like for me, it felt good to put, put, to put black kitty and spotty kitty up on the fur files, just like a memoriam and write their little six word bio. And yeah, we want to start this framework so that there's a place to go to, you know? Right. And it's almost like a place for them to visit too. Yeah. To come back to and remember, you know, I, I've really found that in starting this podcast and asking people to be guests. A lot of times people want to come on just to talk about a pet they've lost or they want to talk about their current pet because they love them so much and they know someday they won't be there anymore. And they want to share the love and the stories and how they've helped them. I mean, there's so many connections between pets mm. and, and helping our mental health and all of those things. So, yeah, I I love the idea that people will be able to kind of come and put a piece of, you know, of their memory or their experience there. I found that to be so important. And I've actually been thinking about starting like a grief group where people can Mm. come and share their experiences because the loss of a pet is, you know, as significant as any loss for a lot of us, especially those of us that those are our only children. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's a, you know, we're always looking for ways to memorialize them and, and, you know, kind of send their, their memory on and share it with other people. Yeah. And like remembering the best parts, you know, like right. the, the, the six word bios, it's just like, it's like, it's a happy memory. So a lot of what we're creating, it's whether, whether an animal has, has passed on or not, it's, it's all about memories and, and the connection, you know, whether it's sound or, or some, or a photo or, or a little right. bio. Yeah. No, I think that's really powerful. And I think that, I think you guys are going to, you know, find a really strong connection there for people, but also um, get a a pretty big response as more people learn about it and they can share that. I think that's really, that's really amazing. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for being here. I learned so much (laughs) about different things that I never even expected. And I think (laughs) what you guys are creating just sounds amazing. And if there's any way that I can attend it, I'll, I'll definitely have to check my calendar because oh, that, that would be, be a, cool. That's a really cool experience. Um, and definitely as we go, let me know. And as you have more information, please share it with me so I can share it with the, the listeners and let people um, know about it. Because I think that's going to be a, a really cool experience for people. If anyone wants to know more, they can go to sonicdogness.com. And they can read about the project there. They can um, send, there's information about what to send if you want to send a photo and bio of your um, animal. Okay, great. Yes, I have that. I'm going to, in the description of this episode, um, I will link the website and I will also link, you guys uh, mentioned in your info you sent me about the Berkeley Animal Shelter. Is that, and so there's a, there's the animal care services through the city of Berkeley. And then what I learned is there's also a separate organization called the Friends of the Berkeley Animal. 
So there's actually two organizations related to that shelter. Okay. Oh, thank you for that. I, I, we, so the, the people who, um, De- Deborah Pugh and John Winnett's are, are, what would you call them? They're, they manage all the art installations at the Bulb. Is that accurate, Olivia? Oh, um, I, I would say they're kind of uh, the curators and, and the organizers for what's called alternating currents, um, which is the name of, of this series of, of events that take place at the Albany Bowl. Yeah, and so I'll, I can ask Deborah and, and, and give you some clarity if needed. So I, I, I asked her what she would recommend since, since I, don't, I live in Seattle now. And, um, right. And yeah. And, and the, her, she is Little Dog's mom, actually. So she's one who she's a brilliant writer, and she's so writer she's the one who question <laughs> screaming. She's brilliant. Oh, I love. Yeah. Well, I will definitely check her out, and hey, maybe she'll want to come on an episode and talk about Little Dog. She would, and she yeah. would be a great guest. She she's yeah. just amazing. She's such an amazing person. Okay, great. Well, I'll check her out. But in the meantime, please feel free to send her my info. Okay. Um, and I will. In the bio, along with the website for your guys's project, I will also link the Berkeley Shelter and the organization that works along with it. So that way, anybody in the San Francisco Bay Area that's interested in learning more, volunteering, um, they'll be able to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. So I did find that information. And hopefully the listeners will get to learn more and follow the story as you guys create this amazing art installation. I think it's going to be such an exciting experience for everyone. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you guys for being here. And thank you listeners again for stopping by and hearing another tale about amazing pets in our life.